0: Welcome to Resurrection Sunday here at Relevant Faith Church, and we are, like I said, excited that you are with us today. I feel like God is on the move and doing something here, not just this morning, but in this church. And we have been in a series called entitled "Welcome Home," and I am I'm doing something completely different than anything I've ever really done in the past. Um, I am closing a series on Easter Sunday, and um, and I'm I'm preaching. A message that is not necessarily the prototypical, traditional Easter Sunday message, although you'll find plenty of, of that in it. It's, um, it's a little bit different. Like I said, we've been in this series called Welcome Home. We've been breaking down the, the Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and today we are going to focus our efforts, our energies. the title of my thoughts this morning is simply the party. And so the party, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we get to those thoughts, and if you're sitting here and say, oh, well, crap, I've missed the first three weeks of this message, you me, I promise you you will not be lost today. It's not building in that way where you'll be lost by missing a message. However, if you are interested, you can go to rfcpeoria.com, and you can uh, click on the listen link and listen to the last three weeks of messages if you, if you so desire. But two facts based on the entire series that we have been in that I want to share with you before we get into everything, is number one, God loves you even when you've rejected him and broken his heart. That is... A powerful message that comes from the from the prodigal son, and and it's evidenced in Luke chapter 15. So even before you repented, before you even wanted to come back, God set his love on you and he's never stopped loving you. It's why I love this one of the songs that we sing called Reckless Love, because the love of God is exactly that. It's reckless, it is it's pursuing, and it's pursuing in spite of what we may what we may do or what we may feel. And if you look at Luke chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, the Bible says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This young man left home, desired his father's inheritance and decided, I'm out of here and took off, breaking his father's heart and then living it and spending it wildly in sin and sin living and God still loved him. In spite of the broken heart, in spite of, the, in spite of, the, of this, the wasting of everything he owned in sin living, the Father, who is the illustrative version of God in this text, still loved him to the point that he was anxiously awaiting his return. And so God loves you even when you've rejected him and broken his heart. So I'm not quite sure where you sit and where you are this morning, but I just felt like that is something that you need to hear. And the second thing that I feel like you need to hear this morning before we get into this this big, big old party we're going to have today is that God loves you even as you wander in darkness. Even as you wander in darkness, God loves you. This guy's life Started out great. This, this younger son, his life started out great. He went to this far country. He got away from his father, away from the rules. And he got everything a lot of money could buy. But when the winds changed and the money was gone and the friends were gone. And there was loneliness. There was begging. And there was despair. This journey ends with him taking perhaps the lowest he could ever take as he humbled himself to wanting and desiring to be a servant of his father's. Can you imagine? I mean, this isn't like nowadays time where you can hop on a plane and be somewhere in a few hours. This isn't like nowadays time where you jump in a car and be somewhere in a few hours. He had to, in all of his shame, he had to walk home. I don't know about you, but I I have had a little bit of experience in this where, where I left home, lived my life, did what I wanted to do only to have to then go back home to my mother's house. And that journey, for me, was 27 hours on a bus where I was not excited about the prospects of having to go back home. And that's because I had nowhere else left to go, that I had to go there. Um, There's a whole big, long story about that that um, I can actually kind of relate to this prodigal son in that story. But... The reality is, is this journey ends with him taking this lowly, lowly, lowest job that is available in Israel, feeding the pigs, to then taking this low, low journey home. And I think this gives us a perfect picture of the trajectory of sin. You know, it started out with this amazing experience. It started out with this, wow, I've got money. I've got no rules. I don't know about you. Maybe you were this kid, or maybe you have this kid, probably both. But I can't wait to get out of the house when I'm 18. I'm going to go do what I want to do, and I'm going to get excited. I'm going to, and That's the place that we get in our own selfishness and our own sin, and, and it usually does start out great. You know, the Bible even tells us that there's pleasure in sin for a season. And I don't know about you. I've heard people preach. I've heard preachers preach it. People talk about it, and they've said they've, they've made this quote, and I've heard it preached, they said well sin ain't fun and if i'm going to be honest and transparent with you the pr- the challenge to that thought process is that person probably ain't doing it right if i can just be real i mean if you're visiting here welcome to relevant faith church i am very real and very transparent I will likely say something that offends you, and I'll apologize ahead of time for it. But the reality is, sin is pleasurable for a season. The Bible even tells us that in Hebrews, that there is a pleasurable season of sin. And I have engaged in in, in pleasurable seasons of sin in my life. And every last one of them were enjoyable. Every last one of them were fun. Every last one of them, when I think about the sin part of it and the engagement part of it, I think, man, that was some fun times. But then, just like this younger son experienced, every one of those fun times led me into probably the deepest and darkest places I've ever also been. That's why it's only pleasurable for a season. And so, however great the pleasure of your sin is, or even the sin of your past, or even the sin of your present As you are sitting here, there is darkness right around the corner of that sin. There is pain around the corner. And we need to understand for the context of our message on this Resurrection Sunday that there is a party awaiting you. A party greater than any party you've ever experienced. A party greater than any party you've ever thrown or attended. And I don't know about you, but if you raised anything like me, you might have attended a few parties, thrown a few parties. And I did some of that... In my wilder days. And the party that I'm going to speak about today. Far outweighs any party I've ever experienced in life. The party I'm going to speak about today. Far outweighs any party I could ever imagine. And I'm actually only able to speak about it from the context of what scripture says. Because the reality is I've not ever even experienced it fully yet. But those days are coming. Church those days are coming faster and sooner than ever before. And I'm called, we talked about. You know, we just came from Good Friday where we celebrated and we honored and reverently the death of Christ, where he suffered on the cross. And we honor, we, that, that was a day of, of remembrance and, and for, some, for some a very day of, of somber thinking and, and very almost even depressive for others to think, man, this is the day that Jesus died. I look at it like this. This is the day that Jesus died, but I'm looking forward to the day that he rose because that's what brought me life and continues to sustain my life. But today, I look forward to the day that he comes back. The day he comes to redeem his church. See, church is very, very real. There's a few things that are very real. Jesus Christ was a very real person that he, on very, very, a very real way, died for your sin. That he was buried in a tomb. That he was raised from the grave. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. And he is going to return. These are all biblical facts, non-debatable. I don't care what faith background you come from, what denomination that you've grown up in or preached. These are facts across all of Christianity that these days are coming. And so every day that you breathe another day, you get another day closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, I am excited about that day because that's the day the greatest party in history Will ever be thrown. And so the party I'm talking about may look a little different than what you're used to. It may even feel a little different. And so let's get to it here for a few minutes. The idea of this message has resonated in my heart for weeks and weeks and weeks because of the series that we were in. And it's found based in Luke chapter 15 verse number 24. This is a dialogue that the father is having with a servant as his son Had returned, he told the servant, he gave him his instructions on some things to go and get him. And he said this in verse 24, For this son of mine was dead. He has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Then ensued this great party, and then the older son, who was in the field, working. We preached that message last week. You can go to RelevantFaithChurchPeoria.com and check out that message last week. Then this dialogue takes place between the father and the older son, the more responsible son as he would see it. And this is what he said to his older son, so we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so today we're going to talk about the greatest party ever to be thrown. It was the party that took place three days after the. Death of Jesus. It was a party that would turn the world upside down. As a matter of fact, you know it's a good party when 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about it. I had some parties growing up that I promise you we're now still not talking about just 20 years later and 30 years later, right? I, there, there are parties that are thrown that people talk about for days. Some people talk about for weeks and, and depending on the kind of life you've lived, you talk about it for 10 or 15 years, But 2,000 plus years, we've been talking about this party. And so I want to paint a picture of this party, if I could, for a moment. And to do that, I'm going to steal the words of Isaiah. And so I want to paint this picture, especially for those of you who may not believe at all, or maybe be on the fence about this whole Jesus thing. And so I'm going to steal the words of Isaiah chapter 25. Where God Himself sets the scene. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And He says, In Jerusalem, verse number six, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. It ends with the Lord has spoken. This is the picture God paints through the prophet Isaiah of what's to come. And now when I've read this verse in the past, I've hardly ever noticed what, it's that, what it says in details. And most people would tell, when I, if I would describe this is what the party looks like, they'd be like, that, I, I don't understand what kind of party that is. And never in their lives have they heard such a party. But the idea of heaven to most and the idea of the party that takes place in heaven to most is this idea of these ghostly looking figures all standing around just with their hands raised like this, and everybody doing the whole same thing like this, and maybe things like, oh, and they think that's what heaven is like, but God spoke through the prophet Isaiah to let you know, and I'm going to echo his words, that there's so much more than that. It's not just angels plucking harps and everybody doing the same thing in this, this calm, serene environment that we think heaven might be, but the reality is heaven is a party, Heaven is such a party that it can be heard reverberating through the atmosphere. Matter of fact, John in Revelation said, what I see, and if you define that word see, when he said I see every nation and every tribe and every tongue worshiping God, that word see literally means I can see, I can hear, and I can perceive. So it's not just this, this quaint little quiet time. And as a matter of fact, the point Isaiah is trying to make is heaven, I believe, is going to be rocking. It's going to be a party like no other. It's not just meat. It's the finest and best meat. It's not just wine. It's the finest wine. It's not just something for you to taste or anything you've experienced on earth. But imagine some of the most, if you can just for a moment, close your eyes with me for just a moment. I want you to, I want to, I want to try to. Activate your senses a little bit more. I want you to think of that. I'll try to do this without salivating myself. But I want you to think about that place that you've eaten. Or that place that you've had a drink. And I want you to think for a moment that place that it was the best, the absolute best food you ever ate. Whether your choice is a steak or a chicken or whatever your choice is to eat. Maybe it's a piece of cake or pie. Whatever it is. I want you to think about that place right now. I want, you to, I want you to put yourself back in that moment and what that tasted like. Maybe you're like me and you're salivating right now. I don't know. I like food. I have a passionate affair with food. And, and the amazing thing about that is simply this. As sweet and as wonderful as that tastes, God has finer for you. He has greater for you. He has more choice for you. It's going to be better than anything you've ever tasted or experienced on earth. And here's the most, the most beautiful and pleasurable thing that you could ever enjoy on this planet. does not even hold a, count, a, ca- a, a candle or even a whisper to what God has created for you. You have to understand, church, that you've been created for to join the party. You were created to join the party. So let me talk to you for a few minutes about this party and what awaits us. And for that, I'm going to turn to the book of Luke. And look at the words of Christ in Luke chapter 14. In Luke 14, 16 through 24, this is Jesus was teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And he says, this is what it's like said, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. "Mm. I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Another said, my alarm clock did not go off. Another said, I did not have a ride. Now, obviously, I've strayed from the scripture into some of the things that I've heard. Or I I can't because I have this athletic event, or I can't because I have to work, and I get all those things, and I won't tell you what my daddy told me about excuses. It was not appropriate. So the servant returned in verse number 21 and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get, will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I love the imagery of this passage of scripture because Christ is saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like and he prepared this great feast and if you, if you want to study in your own time the feasts that Israelites would prepare, you will find some of the most Lavished feasts. I'm talking parties we can't even touch. We throw these big lavish parties. I don't know about you, but I've, I had the opportunity once in my life to go to this wedding that it was like a seven course meal type wedding. They probably spent more on the food than I've ever spent in my life, period. I mean, it was food everywhere. It was tons of food, and the environment was electric, and this atmosphere was incredible. And, and every step of the way, the food was just, inc- I mean, amazing. I, that's what I, I, if you notice, I, I'm talking a lot about food today. But I would, I, would, I would sample this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is incredible. And I'd go and sample this, and wow, that's even better than that. And every step of the way, it was even better and better and better. And by the time I sat down for the actual meal, I'd already eaten. I was already full of Course it did not stop me. And every bite of everything had tasted so much better than the previous. And this is the kind of party that this is the kind of banquet that God has planned for for those who don't make excuses. See, I, I I'd like to I'd like to just say that this Everybody in this room and everybody on the earth and everybody in every church today who's celebrating the resurrection of our, G- of our Lord and Savior Jesus is going to experience this banquet, but that's really not the reality and the truth, and it's unfortunate, because the day will come when Jesus will come and redeem his church, and there'll there'll people left, people who were not redeemed as his church because people who have made excuses like, oh, you know, I tried that Jesus thing, but it really didn't work out for me, or... Man, how could a loving God who loves his people let there be so much evil in the world? I don't want to even get the God like that. There are tons of excuses that people make that's going to cause them. He said in verse 24, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste from my banquet. It's not even the smallest taste, not even a morsel of what God has to offer. So he literally said, after he went into all the streets to get everyone to come, there was still room for more. So he said, go into every area, every nook and cranny. Some some faith um, translations say every highway and byway. Everywhere you can possibly go and compel everyone you can possibly see to come to this table. To come to this banquet. Because that's how glorious it is. And so let me tell you about... What this is going to look like and what you have awaiting you. As you have, and this is where I get to your notes. Your notes are real simple today. Just a couple of things for you to fill in. I wanted to keep it very simple today. And so the very first one is you have, waiting for you, a trustworthy inheritance. You have a trustworthy inheritance. You know, the, gov- the government has an inheritance tax, Right? Whenever you inherit anything, there's a tax on that. The tax usually is the the equivalent of about 40%. That hurts. 40% of what you redeem as an inheritance from family or friends is taxed at 40%. But in the, in the kingdom of heaven, the Apostle Peter, he writes it like this, in First Peter chapter one, verses three through four, he says, "All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is with, by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Here we go, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept. In heaven for you, a heaven, an inheritance that is pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So what does that mean? This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. What does that mean? It means it's eternal. That it doesn't run out. I don't know about you, but I have been in moments of my life where what I have has run out. The money I have has run out. The patience that I have has run out. The grace, the mercy... What I have access to always runs out. But Peter is saying that this inheritance is kept in heaven. It is eternal. It is eternal and it is forever. He said it is pure and undefiled. It means this inheritance that you have for you in heaven is holy, it is righteous, it is completely clean and pure, and never even experience sin. And last thing Peter says about this, it says it's beyond the reach of change. And decay, it means it will never lessen nor decrease. So now let me help you out here for a second, okay? You might be sitting here and say, oh, well, you know what? You really don't know my life. You don't know the mistakes I've made. I'm sure, and you may have heard this preaching before, you know, based on I don't know what. But they'll talk about all the different neighborhoods in heaven. That the better you are, the better a home you'll receive. Or the better you are, the better your neighborhood is in heaven of some kind. I'm not quite. I actually heard somebody say once that you're just barely going to make it to heaven. You're just going to be living in the ghetto of heaven. And to be honest with you, I can't find that kind of preaching anywhere in Scripture. It does not exist. It just says that it's eternal, that it's holy, and it never lessens or decreases. So if it never lessens nor decreases, how is there these bad neighborhoods in heaven? What's, that? What's a bad neighborhood look like? Is it one where it's a little bit louder, and a little bit rowdier? Because if that's the case, send me up. Because I like to, I mean, I'm like David. I become even more undignified than what you can see when it comes to my love for Christ. So it's kept in heaven. It's inter- eternal. It's pure and it's undefiled. It's, that means it's holy and righteous. And it's beyond the reach of change and decay. It will never lessen nor decrease regardless of what you make of your life. Understand that, church. It doesn't matter the decisions that you've made. It doesn't matter the life that you've lived. It doesn't matter where your journey has taken you. All that matters is where it ends. That's all that matters, is where does your journey end? And if your journey ends in a relationship committed to Christ, then your journey ends right here where we're describing. Your journey ends with this great feast in mind. This journey ends with this power that you have access to. It's not about how it starts. It's about how it finishes. I'm thankful for that because... I've not started well. And even during a journey, I've not ran well. But my God, I hope I finish well. So there is a trustworthy inheritance. The second thing I want you to understand about this place is that there is no sin. There is no sin in this banquet. There is no sin in this party. To me, this is not a small thing because like you, I am in a constant battle with my flesh. I am no different than anyone sitting in this room right now. I battle my flesh every single day the same as you. The same as you, I fail. The same as you, I fall. The same as you, I get back up. The same as you, I dust myself off. Sometimes I got to bandage myself up because I've cut myself a time or two. But I, just like you, battle my flesh And I know that all too often when I fail and I fall to sin, it brings this weight of heaviness in my heart. But in heaven and in this party that we're talking about, this great banquet, this feast that Isaiah talked about, there is no sin. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 says, Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are the ones coming to the party. No sin comes to the party. That's why I tell you, it's a very real thing, this Christ coming back. And you need to be ready for that comeback. Because here's what I believe. I believe that when he comes back and he redeems his church, he's going to set up this party that is rocking. But the battle with temptation is very real. Falling into sin is very real. And it's not about... The moments that you fall into sin it's about the condition of your heart and coming out of it that's what it's about because if it was just about falling into sin then I, you know what forget it it's not even worth it because I fail every day according to scripture but it's not about the fall it's about the comeback and with every fall there's a get up with every setback there's a comeback and that's what it's about how do you come back but what's really cool is these, this sin and this temptation will be a distant memory. Which makes the party in heaven even greater. Because those things are a distant memory. So I'm going to wrap up this mess this morning with a little bit of what's not there. We already talked about that there's no sin in heaven. We talked about that there is a great inheritance. But let me tell you a little bit about what's not there. Here's what I think personally for me, what makes it so great and the party so amazing is when I think about what won't be there. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no crying, there'll be no sadness, there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now imagine if every tear is gone And there's no more death, and there's no more sorrow, and there's no more crying, and there's no more pain. If those things are gone, then obviously something has to replace them, right? They are replaced by joy. They're replaced with life. When Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give you life to the full, that is what he has replaced sorrow with is life. He has replaced death with life. I don't know about you, but I am ready for death to be gone. I'm ready for pain and suffering to be gone. I'm ready for it to be behind us. As we celebrate this party, this great party and banquet and feast that God has for us. But the reality is it's only for those. It's only for those who've committed to dedicating their hearts and lives To Christ. There's a powerful resurrection available to you. And I'm going to show you a quick video. Before I finish and before I wrap up our message, I want to show you this video. And then our worship team is going to come. We're going to worship for a few more minutes. And we'll wrap up our time together this morning. So if you could, if if our tech team could black out the lights and you could... Turn your attention to the screens for just a few moments.
1: I saw Jesus crucified. I spoke to him as he died. I saw him in his struggle. I watched as he breathed his last breath, and when he stopped breathing, I lost my breath too. The one who walked on water is no more. The one who fed 5,000 is now food for the worms, and if he has been defeated, what does that mean for me? I am nothing, and I left everything to follow him. If I knew it would have ended like this, well, I guess I may have reconsidered. I thought that he would be the king who would rise up and rule our nation. I thought that we were the ones to bring truth and revelation, but it turns out we were wrong. I mean, maybe we imagined this all along. As I watched his body taken down from the cross, I saw my friend was gone. and He was the one who found me. How could this be? He must have gone before his time It must have been too soon It must have been an illusion or a dream He can't be in a tomb I can't come to grips with the thought That a man who claimed to be I am Was slain by the hands of men And then She burst through the door Our friend Mary She said someone had taken The body of the Lord So we ran to the tomb Only to find An empty room the stone was rolled away, the Roman seal was broken, and in those days you did not mess with the Romans, so whoever did this was either bold or God. I looked on the floor, and I saw his clothes, and that's when I knew he rose. Jesus is alive. He did walk on water. He did feed the 5,000. He did raise Lazarus from the dead and heal thousands. He did make the wine. He did talk to God. He did pray for those who put him on the cross, and he raised back to life, just like Lazarus, except for he would never die again. Jesus took death, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a crown of thorns on his head for you he laid his life down and he took it back again Jesus is alive